wild-caught fish, caught sustainably, and shipped to your door. What does this mean for our environment, the quality of our food supply, and our changing climate future? We talk to Sina Wheeler about their company, Sina Sea, and talk about all these questions. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Sina Wheeler, a scientist with a specialty in quantifying omega-3s in fish. She's an expert in handling practices of fish, and she is the fifth generation of a fishing family. She works with other fishermen to process fish, which her soul through her company, Sina Sea. Welcome, Sina. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk to you about fish because I love fish and come from a place where fresh fish is very available, but it's a different kind of water. The Gulf of Mexico is definitely not the water is off Alaska. And so the type of fish that I'm used to eating is very different. So I'm excited to talk to you. But the first question I want to ask you has to do with the fact that you are descendant of a fishing family. And I know that sometimes you may be pressured by a family to stay in the family business, but you might not want to. So did that happen to you or did you always say, no, I want to be, I want to be in fish? You know, it's really funny because fish is just a reoccurring theme in my life. I would say it's always been there growing up was definitely, we would go to visit my grandparents say on the holidays and we would stop at the boat because they lived right near where you could see the boats in the water and my dad fished my grandpa fished my uncles fished and so I think back on these memories like why were we dressed up and we'd stop at the boat but I'm I think it must be because my grandpa would probably ask my dad how's the boat <laughs> and it was meant to say, oh she looks good I just stopped by <laughs> so we had this thing just growing up we grew up around the boats and going to the boats and knowing who fishes the boats and knowing the boats themselves uh, as part of our fishing kind of extended family. So I would say in terms of being generational, it's really interesting because I didn't think I would really chase fish. It just kept popping up in my life. You know, when I was in high school, I went out on my dad's boat in the summers and in college and I would work on the boat. And it's funny, here I am, still in this life. And my other sisters, we were were three girls, my other sisters, they go, why didn't we go on the boat? My dad just says, you never asked, (laughs) Uh. you know? (laughs) So there was obvious, you know, some amount of interest, but even at that, my dad had said, do you want me to teach you how to run a boat? Do you want to fish? I was like, no, not really. I just enjoyed learning about it as part of our family culture. So to me, I, I, 
I just so appreciate that experience, even though I didn't do it because I thought I was going to unnecessarily fish or rent a boat. Same thing with college. I originally went into nutrition and I, I love food and, and healthy eating. We grew up eating a lot of fish and my mom owned a health food store. So we ate really healthy. And then I ended up for my master's degree going into food science. And I, at the time felt like I was chasing my own path, <laughs> not really realizing that again, fish would pop up. And I was just looking for the program and the professor. And there was a professor at the school. I wanted to go to at Oregon State University. And, and he was looking for a, a research scientist to work with fish. And he was looking for somebody comfortable going on the boats and taking the fish, marking how they were handled, testing the fish. And I was I was just like, oh, that's me. I sent him one email saying, here's, you know, I've grown up fishing on my dad's boat and he accepted me and I earned a scholarship and my whole grad school was paid for. And I worked at the seafood lab and it was amazing experience. So it was one of these things where I didn't chase it, but there it was. And I studied okay. fish and it felt so natural. And we were studying West Coast Albuquerque tuna, which is delicious and an amazing fish high in omega-3 so it was just really we were eating fish <laughs> <laughs> and at the time my husband was starting to fish on my dad's boat so it was just very natural later I worked in R&D at a just a regular food company for 10 years I just cakes and brownies non-fish related uh -huh. uh, but while I was there I was um selling my husband's fish to coworkers and things like that, you, because that's what a fisherman does. They come home with their catch and it's very much about friends and family and people that, you know, they want to get their hands on that fish from the fisherman. He'd come down from Alaska and he had, so it was, they call it a home pack. The fisherman would bring home lots of extra fish because everybody that knows a fisherman wants to get their hands on that real good, high quality Alaskan fish. So I just did that on the it's side. It's very fresh. Yes. yes. Very fresh. It's and it's that cold water Alaskan fish. It's very excellent fish. So when I look back, I can see these recurring themes and it's just always been there. And of course, Sina Sea is just, um, I kind of laugh sometimes because I think my husband, you know, we would spend weeks getting the fish out to friends and family and driving around the state and delivering fish. And I kind of joke because we were kind of, I, I was thinking, oh, if we do this Cena C when we start our own business, it'll be so much easier. I'll just set up a business and we'll ship it to people. And um, it's very rewarding, but I wouldn't say easier. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. So my father had a boat, but it was just a pleasure boat. And we would go crabbing in the middle of Lake Pontchartrain. And I would drive the boat. We would put chicken necks on the nets and then tie like a, a bleach bottle or something on the end of the, the line and throw it out into the lake. The lake is maybe 10 feet to 15 feet deep. So you could have a long line and just let it sit on the bottom. And then the crabs would come and then you'd go by with the boat and my father would pull it up. And then maybe my grandfather or my brother or somebody, my brother is about five years younger than I was, 
would just flip it over into a garbage can that we uh -huh. kept in the boat and then you throw it back in. And we had about, I don't know, 25 or 30 crab, crab nets that were out there. And then by the end of going back and forth and back and forth very slowly in the boat, you'd have a full garbage can full of crabs. Oh, and wow. we would go home and boil them and then eat them. And then whatever was left, my mother and I would pick um, so that we would just keep the meat and then you could freeze it or whatever. And uh, I remember thinking, I hate this. This is the most horrible thing in the whole world. And it wasn't that I actually hated doing it. But when I was a teenager, like 12, 13, 14, my entire Saturday, every Saturday of my life was devoted to this. And I couldn't see my friends or do any of the things that you want to do when you're a teenager. And so I would start by asking my friends to invite me to spend the weekend with them so that <laughs> I would say, mom, I got invited by so-and-so to spend the weekend. And so my mother would say, well, okay, this weekend you can do that. And then of course they had no crabs. They didn't go out because I was the, I was the driver of the boat. My grandfather could not drive the boat. My grandfather would, he couldn't, he couldn't anticipate where you were going on the water and slowing down to, to get to the crab net so that you had the time to lift it and all of that. So he couldn't so do they it. they wouldn't go if you weren't there. That's right. They didn't go. And I knew that I was spoiling it for everybody, but sometimes I just needed not to do it. <laughs> anyway, so that's what, one of the reasons I was curious about how you felt about about it because it wasn't that I hated being on the boat or anything like that it's just then it was like my brother and everybody else went and did other things but my mother and I were then having to pick all of the crabs and so I had to be on the boat I had to help cook I had to pick mm. all the crabs and I thought no <laughs> I have to, I have to have a break, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I, I loved crabs. I think crabs are wonderful. So I enjoyed the eating of them, right. but somehow it just feel, it felt like a great burden. Like my whole life revolved around that when I wanted to go to parties and be with my friends and all of that. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Um, well, that's like, I would go on the boat for a couple of weeks and that in that teenage age, it was like, I enjoyed it, but it's like, okay, I need to, you know, that's good. It's time to go have fun with my friends. <laughs> right, right. You still need to do that for sure. Yeah, that's right. So tell me about what it is that, that made you decide that you would become people who ran the processing and the freezing. And tell me a little bit about that process. Are you freezing on the boat? Are you freezing after? We have a processing facility right in Cordova, Alaska, which is um, where we catch. We're really based out of Cordova. That's the hub. It's a very small community in Alaska, no roads. So you can just get there by boat or plane. But it is the closest town to where they catch the Copper River salmon out on the Copper River Delta, where the ocean meets the Copper River. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the grounds where... Um, 
where we go in and out of to catch the Copper River, it's, it's right there. And so we set up the processing facility there. I guess I'll just back up just a tiny bit. When we started, my husband's been fishing for 20 years, over 20 years, and we long line for halibut and black cod. Those are a little bit bigger boats. And then we catch Copper River salmon. So all the salmon is specific to the river it returns to, and our permit is specific for that salmon. When we started Cena Sea, we really had to think about our goal is to get the very highest quality to people. So our our goal is kind of based on what we're spoiled with. Like I was saying, when you come home with the catch and when the, when my dad and relatives all come home with the catch at the end of the year, it's it's frozen. People might expect fishermen to eat only fresh fish. But at the end of the year, they come home and they freeze all their fish and we eat fish all winter long. Mm -hmm. And that's how you enjoy that amazing fish. It's simply not available in the winter. The closing, the fishing is closed. So we're accustomed to a freezer full of fish. And when we started seeing a sea, we really were thinking our real, our goal was how do we get this fish? We're, we know we're spoiled. We get to raise our family eating this amazing wild fresh fish. And how do we get that fish out to other people kind of like we'd been doing with friends and family but in a broader sense nationally so we ship nationally we ship to you know New York Florida everywhere in the United States and how do we get that exact quality that we're spoiled with out to people and it was really based on my studies and and high handling techniques and everything we've been looking at it's basically you can do it you can do fresh but it's really hard to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. So the consistent quality is that freezing step. So it, it really, what it comes down to is as soon as that fish is taken out of the water, it needs to be cooled immediately. Every hour or minute that it's not cooled is, is decreasing that shelf life. So it's really taking that fish out and thinking of every individual fish comes out. It's not flopping on the deck, creating lactic acid or getting warm or bruising that fish is hand brought into the boat and then it's chilled immediately and we use the rsv system which is refrigerated seawater mm -hmm. and so or i'm sorry rsw it's about that individual fish being bled and cooled immediately and that keeps the quality high and then we freeze it those we, we catch fish not far out so it's just coming in that night mm -hmm. and then it's freezing at the processing facility and i probably take way long of an answer but <laughs> originally there was a small processing facility that was cutting our fish for Cena Sea and they went up for sale and in that area there's some really big fish companies that people have heard of and the fish comes in and the fish goes back out and it gets mixed together and nobody knows whose it is and it goes to Costco. We it was really important in that community to keep this small custom processing facility as a small custom processing facility that individual fishermen can use. People cut their home pack. People like us that sell their own fish are utilizing that. Otherwise, it just gets too industrialized. And there's no options for small people like us, normal people, or people that even, even um, sport fishermen that want to process their fish and cut it and have freeze it nicely professionally and bring it home. So we uh, went in with some investors and partners and we bought that facility to keep doing what we're doing. There was a lot of pride about 
just keeping that option available for the for locals and for other small fishing families, people doing what we're doing. So we bought that facility. So now <clears throat> we catch our fish and we purchase fish from other fishermen we know and trust and we we really know them all. <laughs> so are, are you, do you hand butcher the fish or are they butchered with machines? How does that work? Individually, if we're talking, um, well, actually all fishing, the individually those fish need to be killed and bled immediately mm -hmm. when they're brought aboard. Otherwise they're gonna be flopping and building up heat. So they're, that, that would be hand on board, but the butchering is also by hand, uh -huh. they're on ice. And then that would be their heading and filleting all by hand. And then we, we have a machine that portion so that we can get it just right. <laughs> Right, right. So what do, you do, what do you do with the the bones and the head and all of that? Well, it's really cool because we own the facility and then we have CNC as our brand. We get to kind of talk about we 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 invented something we call chop and it's on our website. And in Alaska, it would be called scrape meat. But we didn't think that was a real appetizing name. But <laughs> take the backbone so if you if you fillet a salmon on the backbone is a little bit of meat just always going to be stuck on the backbone we use a spoon and we scrape that meat off on the backbone and we put it all in a pile and we we sell it in a pack a one pound pack and we call it chop because it's kind of like it was chopped up and it's kind of like hamburger Mm -hmm. It's salmon meat that you could use for patties or fish tacos, or I put it into soups, but we're really trying to utilize all of that flesh. Um, when we're cutting other fish, white fish, or when we have tiny little pieces of, of fish left that say didn't, didn't fit in the bag or it wasn't cut off this portion or a little tail piece, we skin it, take the bones out and we put it in again in a one pound bag and we call that chop and it would be this little chunks of boneless and skinless. So we're really, because we're small, we can utilize what would be waste to other people mm -hmm. uh, and utilize all that meat, especially when you're talking about wild salmon, wild copper river salmon, it's a really important resource that we are utilizing and why not use every tiny little piece? So that's what we do. We use every bit of meat the backbones go, it, it's called an OFA line, but you know, they're, they're broken. They're churned up and put back out to sea. And then the heads go to a dog food company that utilizes those. So, um, so you try to really, use everything without waste. Yeah. And that's really important to us. And then, so tell us about the packaging. So then what we do is we, for Cena C, uh, we do these six ounce portions, sometimes an eight ounce portion. And one thing we do special is we, we wrap in parchment paper and everybody's surprised. Nobody's heard of that. But what we do is wrap the individual portion parchment paper and then we vacuum seal it. I did and, notice um, that when I, I noticed that when I unpacked. Yeah. The fish. Yes. We heard about that and we, our very first year we did half and half with parchment wrapped and non-parchment. And what we found was, you know, right away, it's it's about the same. And really we were trying to make that barrier so that the fish isn't touching plastic. Mm -hmm. But what we found over the winter, we eat our own fish, of course, and we're defrosting them and eating them over the winter. And that time in the freezer, 
were pulling out the parchment wrapped ones and the quality was visibly and you could taste it they just tasted fresher like they had just been packed and so that one winter of having that side-by-side -side comparison we were like well if what we're after is the most premium frozen fish you can buy then we're going to take this extra step and people do really love it so it is protecting the fish from plastic but it's also just an extra oxygen barrier that really sucks down on the fish mm -hmm. and really retains that quality and then we are vacuum sealing individually and freezing and of course we freeze in commercial freezers that at a time and temperature not everybody realizes that um sushi should always be frozen um kills the parasites and so we're we're freezing it at a time and temperature that makes it sushi quality so you could eat it raw so what about that um the green cell that was something that I found really fascinating when I was dealing with with it and cooking the fish and defrosting it and everything. And I'm I'm not um, because we really um, we really value in in the, the Gulf Sea the Gulf waters. We value the fish like fresh that it was just caught today. You know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we can fish all year. So we're mm. fishing for different things all year. So it doesn't have the same sense of, oh, well, we have to freeze it over this period of time because you can't go and fish. Right. We just eat different kinds of fish throughout the year. So this was, you know, an experiment for me to taste it and see what a good quality. I mean, I, I was so I'm, I'm admitting to you, I was really surprised <laughs> at how wonderful the preservation was. And so that's why I'm so curious as to all those little steps. But I love the idea that you have this compostable packaging. Yeah. That's really important to me. Well, sustainability is really important to us. And and if I think that sometimes people get when you think talking about fishing families, to me, it's obvious that, of course, sustainability in terms of retaining the stocks, having fish to fish for generations to come. In our community, that's very much a fishing family value would be sustainability. I think that some people sometimes assume that fishermen are, are out there to just fish it all, you know, get as much as they can. And that is just not the case when you're talking about these small family fishing communities that we're accustomed to where sustainability is a huge concept. If you're talking about generational fishing, you want the fish to be there. So to us, it's very important value and we fish sustainably. And then, you know, it's important to us to then ship sustainably. So we don't use any styrofoam. We ship frozen around the nation overnight. So it's really important that it arrives rock hard frozen and we're not losing any quality on the way and so we found this sustainable foam it's called the green cell foam like you're talking about and it's actually um i always forget that it's like cornstarch it's actually edible you could take a bite out of it <laughs> it's just <laughs> really odd <laughs> but it dissolves in water and so it's non-styrofoam sustainable. And we've just had really, we've spent a lot of time and energy. I joke because, you know, we've fished for 20 years, but now I feel like I have my PhD in shipping. <laughs> 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 and, 
a lot of what we do is, okay, how does it get there safely and, and in premium quality? And so with that foam, does it, it helps keep the dry ice from dissipating and keeps the frozen the fish frozen and it works out really well and we're we are really proud of using all the sustainable shipping methods so we talked a little bit before we started recording about fish farming um so that's something that i would really like to discuss with you from a from a taste standpoint as well as from a health standpoint and health writ large so the health of the eater the health of the ocean all of that so first let's talk about taste well i i am very biased of course <laughs> we, you know our generational fishing is all wild and it's wild fishing and it's about preserving the wild stocks and having the wild stocks having great returns on wild stocks so that you know, just first of all, totally biased, <laughs> always eaten wild. Um, I think that the wild fish definitely tastes the best when you have a fish that's out in the wild is, you know, we're talking about the Alaskan waters are very cold. They're very pristine. These fish are out in the ocean surviving and living, eating real food. <laughs> It doesn't come, it's not pellets, you know, it's actual food. They're swimming, they're moving their bodies, they're keeping warm in cold water. And what that does is it, it, they create the, the omega-3s and it's in the proper proportion. So when you're talking omega-3s, omega-6s, it's the natural proportions of omega-3s. And so that fish is a healthy body is how I think of it, just like a healthy person out moving around. And though those healthy bodies are, have a really high amount of omega-3s and the omega-3s are wonderful because um, that's the that's the fat in a fish and it tastes good. That's what makes a fish taste really good. It's also what makes it really healthy. Omega-3s are healthy for us. So when you're talking fish, it's really a win-win when you're talking about omega-3s. And so I think that taste-wise, the taste and texture is far superior. It's going to taste good like fish the texture isn't mushy um it's been out in the wild eating real food the color on our salmon people can't believe especially if they're accustomed to farm fish that where the color is kind of almost like i think they have to kind of put it in their food or something yeah they dye it yeah there's dye in the food yeah and our salmon is well you saw it's so mm -hmm. red people mm -hmm. it's like what is it some of our photos on the website, I've, I've had a web designer go, well, aren't those Photoshopped? Like, how can it be that red? No, it's really that red. <laughs> <laughs> and the colors like vegetables, the colors are good for you too. So that bright red color is healthy. So, so on taste, texture, quality, I would put wild, just heads and shoulders above, above farmed. Um, and then and so, there's the, yeah, the environmental uh, factors of farming. That's something that I'd love you to, for you to talk about. And again, my totally biased perspective is it's all about the wild stock. So we want the wild salmon that always has been to always continue to be. And fish farming, what it does is it can, um, it can kind of ruin the wild stock. So if you have rivers in other places, there's no fish farming in all of Alaska, which is really incredible. Way back in the beginning, they just 
didn't allow it. So you don't have these fish farms in the same rivers. But in other places in Canada, there's a lot of fish farms along the same rivers that the wild stock are in. And what that does is those fish get out, they populate, but but really they breed fish lice and other kind of diseases. And the fish are swimming by this. And so what it does is kind of contaminate the wild stock, even if those fish are kept kind of in pens. As the fish are migrating or spawning past, they're kind of getting these different diseases and things. And so it contaminates the wild stocks and really drops so the, the, the wild water. Stock. They're still the water is flowing freely. So they're the water, they're being contaminated by what's in the water, right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I've seen this a video of fish like going through these rivers and it starts great. And then by the end, it just looks, you know, really horrible. And it's, it's really sad. And, and I think that that's one thing that gets overlooked sometimes is fish farmers are like, Oh, we're sustainable. Like, like we're, we're providing food. But if you're doing that at the detriment of the wild stock, then that's a problem. And it's a problem environmentally because the fish are a keystone species, the salmon, you know, spawning and everything that they're doing they're providing food for humans but they're also a part of the environment that need to be out doing what they do i mean they're really amazing if you think about it they they are born in the river they go out into the ocean they eat all the food they fatten up get wonderful omega-3s are super healthy and then they come back to us like here we are <laughs> we're ready i mean we didn't have to if you think you know compare it to cattle we don't the inputs we don't have to grow grass for them or do anything they're just doing it all by themselves and then they're coming back really a healthy food for humans and you know it, it it's actually really incredible especially when you think about the effort that would go into fish farming and then the detriments it's like how about we put all that effort money resources into making sure our our wild fish return really well right Right. Well, Sina, I really appreciate this conversation. I have really learned a lot and have enjoyed eating the fish that I, of course, looked at your recipes that you send with the fish, and I haven't been able to have carrots or zucchini or whatever grown in Alaska <laughs> in order to make some of the dishes that you suggest. But I absolutely enjoyed the fish enormously. And I even think that the portion size is perfect, that it's it's not too big. I hate those portions that look really big, but you can't possibly eat that much. So you've got this little piece left over all the time. And so I, I I like the portion size and I have become very, very addicted to to your your frozen what in my mind, you know, the idea of it being frozen is is not necessarily the most positive thing, but it it really is the positive thing about this. This is really, really perfect. And when it's defrosted, it feels firm still and has the right texture and I've really appreciated that a whole lot. So oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I feel like we have a convert because I know that there is kind of a stigma about frozen and it is really fun to show people you can do it right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to do it. Plus, I feel like kind of back to our mission, it, 
it's really important to us to just make it easy for people to eat more fish. And I feel like having those portions already cut and in your freezer and really simple to defrost, it just makes it more accessible <laughs> than having to say, get a whole fish or fillet it or, or just all those things that it would take. And we want people to kind of, a lot of people hesitate a little bit in the kitchen about fish or what do I do with it? Or how do I, you know, what do I do next? And, and we just want people to, have fun trying it and go, Oh, that's actually not very hard at all. It's very accessible. Yes. Well, I think you definitely achieved that. And I just want to thank you for being with us today. And it's really been a, a joy talking to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to tip of the tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.